how am I going to say this politely? I don't think it's a very good song. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because, so she's in the media quite a bit more than usual. And now we all know Kate has particular tastes and interests. And so I find it interesting that at the height of this, she wanted to appear on uh, what was at the time, one of the big charity events in England. This is comic relief. And we'll talk a little, I think we'll talk a little about the history behind comic relief in a mm-hmm. bit, but, yep. but what makes it interesting is that she chose to collaborate or somebody asked her to collaborate with, or Rowan Atkinson probably asked her to collaborate and she said yes, which makes me want to talk about Kate and British comedy and her relationship to that because we talked a lot, you've talked a lot about Kate Bush, all what's so great about her, but we don't really talk about her enough is her sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And... Well, this isn't really a shining example of British comedy. <laughs> it's it's still interesting to remember that Kate Bush is very funny when she wants to be and has an appreciation in, um, for comedy. to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about a little song that Kate Bush didn't write, but she sang on it, and we're going to be talking about this week, Do Bears, which was her duet with Rowan Atkinson. I met her in the first class lounge of a jumbo jet. It was love at first sight. Romeo and Juliet He looked pretty rich And I was down on luck So I charged him a fortune For a flying For crying out loud Do I love you? Do I want you? Would I sacrifice my life to you If I could? The Pope, Catholic, is Luxembourg, small, and do those hairy bears. And with me to talk about the song this week is someone who hasn't actually been on the show for quite a while. I think the last time he was on the show was talking about Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak, which was, oh my God, it was like two years ago that I recorded that podcast. We have, all the way from California, uh, Jack, uh, aka Laszlo's Ghost on Twitter. Indeed. And you had said early on that you wanted to talk about this song, which I thought was just interesting because it's like, I wouldn't think you, it's kind of a deep cut, really. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about it is I'm going to be a little, um, I'm going to be a little, how am I going to say this politely? I don't think it's a very good song, but it's, it's kind of an interest. (laughs) It's not good. It's not, it's mildly amusing. The reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's one, I'm interested in this sort of period when, so this was 86, right? Mm-hmm. 85, 86. Yeah. Yep, 86. Course, yeah. 86. Um, and this was when Kate Bush is at, I would say her biggest level of commercial success. Um, her bit, or I don't know. Was kick inside or hounds of love a bigger hit? They're both huge in England. Um, but, so she's in the media 
quite a bit more than usual. And no, we all know Kate has particular tastes and interests. And so I find it interesting that at the height of this, she wanted to appear on uh, what was at the time one of the big charity events in England. This is Comic Relief. And we'll talk a little, I think we'll talk a little about the history behind Comic Relief in a mm-hmm. bit. But, yep. but what makes it interesting is that she chose to collaborate or somebody asked her to collaborate with or Rowan Atkinson probably asked her to collaborate, and she said yes, which makes me want to talk about Kate and British comedy and her relationship to that, because we talked a lot, you've talked a lot about Kate Bush, all what's so great about her, but we don't really talk about her enough is her sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And, well, this isn't really a shining example of British comedy. <laughs> it's... It's still interesting to remember that Kate Bush is very funny when she wants to be and has an appreciation in, um, for comedy. Um, do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, and it, it's interesting you bring that up because really I think that the media kind of portrayed her, at least the impression I get because I know I wasn't around back then and all that. The impression I get is that the media portrayed her as this like very serious artist but it is true that she can be very funny when she wants to be i think back actually to the dreaming when she had a little contest running with the kate bush club after about what she was actually saying at the end of leave it open oh yeah and how amused she was and what people thought she was saying <laughs> and that people were like oh are you saying this are you saying this and her saying nope 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 and i just i feel like she was just having like a lot of fun just watching people scramble and try to figure stuff out oh the dreaming the dreaming might be her funniest it has some of her saddest and darkest songs there's also i think sat in your lap has a lot of weird little comic interludes and there goes a tenor mm-hmm. is practically there goes a tenor is practically a British music hall song. Oh, yeah. Um, as is, I would say Coffee Home Ground is a very funny song. Darkly funny, but still very funny. When, when she, and there's a lot of humor in her videos, but what's interesting about, she didn't write this song. No. That's the first thing we need to talk about. So this isn't really the type of humor she like, seems to like, but I think that she did it because she clearly admires Rowan Atkinson. The first question I'm going to ask you is how, like, Actually, you talked. We talked a little about this on Twitter, but what's your like level of familiarity with Mr. Atkinson? Okay, so my familiarity is Mr. Bean's Holiday. Oh, good the, movie. The Johnny English movies. Not as good, <laughs> but have their moments. I liked them at the time because at the, I was at the time I was really in getting into watching the Bond movies because they would run the, those marathons of Bond movies and. I like. I'm a big James Bond fan so, as well. But, yeah, um, so I was watching, I remember watching a marathon of it when I was super sick in eighth grade. And that's actually, that's how I got to watch um, The Living Daylights, which is to this day one of my, one of my all-time favorite Bond movies, even though a lot of people don't talk about it. It is kind of like weird to oh, kind of... I really like that movie. It's weird, though. Like, the ending of that movie is a little bit weird to watch now, because I'm like, wait oh, a minute. Oh, um, I know what you're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, the that same, was that... same problem Rambo 3 has. Mm-hmm. Like... That is that it's... <laughs> the proto-Taliban um, <laughs> insurgency... 
yeah. when they were when they were when they were uh, our friends in the Cold War. I'm not okay. Let's not forget he's also in the Lion King. I'm sure you've seen that. Um, oh, he's Zazu. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do remember. That yes, was, that was that was where I first heard him, and I was I was a weird kid. Um, I would write down the names and the credits of movies at the end. So mm-hmm. I knew his and like try to tra- cross reference them. So I knew Rowan Atkinson early on because he was in The Lion King and he's also in a film I very much loved as a kid, The Witches. Oh my god, the, yes! I, I didn't realize he was in that one. He's like he's the Bruno's dad. Um the one who's like we would the one who really wants to order the soup that is designed only for the witches. Like so the two things that he's really He's, he's like two main claim to fames are two of the best, um, in my opinion, two of the best British comedy series of all time. One is Mr. Bean, which um, has had very successful international appeal because it's almost entirely silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his like homage to people like Jacques Tati and Buster Keaton and it's and Charlie Chaplin. And it's just really like it's it's just as funny when you're like five years old as when you're forty probably. Um, I I love Mr. Bean. It's wonderful physical comedy, and then his masterpiece is The Black Adder. Um, are you familiar with this show at all? No, I am not. I know of it. I had it in my queue to watch on Netflix, and I have not gotten to like I've got like two thousand things in my queue. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you get to it, it's absolutely worth it. It's basically his riff on BBC historical dramas where he plays a character who gets reincarnated in different time periods and is always just a little bastard and a stick in the mud. And um, I, I won't spoil anything, but the final moments of the last episode of Blackadder are some of the most moving, deeply moving things I've ever seen in a comedy series, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're gonna, you're gonna. I, I look forward to you enjoying this. So, I'm sure Kate. I'm sure Kate was a fan. It was, um, it was popular among the intelligentsia at the time, as was another show, who where cast members performed at the same comic relief event, The Young Ones. And I'm sure Kate liked both of these shows. Do we have quotes about the kind of comedy she likes? Not really. I've actually scour tried scouring like Gatha and everything, and I haven't seen anything like specific about like her brand of comedy. There's one exception that I have found her talking about, and rather sadly timely today because one of the members has died. But she, I know she loves Monty Python. Oh yeah, I do. And I do remember. Terry, yep. Terry Jones uh, died today. Uh, that makes things sadder, but I know the fact that she's a Python fan uh, makes it pretty clear what kind that she enjoys of absurdist British humor. And considering the people who were on this event, so Comic Relief was kind of started by uh, two people, Richard Curtis and Lenny Henry. And mm-hmm. Richard Curtis has been Rowan Atkinson's writing partner going back to the mid-70s. He wrote and produced um, Blackadder and Mr. Bean, and then he always casts him in his films. He's in Four Weddings and a Funeral as the stuttering priest. He's got a great scene in Love Actually where he spends forever. Mm-hmm. He's a jewelry guy, yeah. The jewelry guy, yes. Um, so Rowan Atkinson and Richard Curtis are like best buds. So it's not a surprise that he was involved with this. And so a lot of people were also on this event. 
Uh, do you have a list of the people who were there? Yeah, actually, um, this was this because this was the first telethon that they did, and so they got all sorts of people. They and they actually recorded it and released it on an album called "The Utterly Utterly Live" at the Shaftesbury Comic Relief. And do you have this album? I do not have this album, but I've, I'm looking I at don't. the picture of it because it's only been released on LP. It's never been on CD. This was oh, I found I, I found it available on cassette. Google oh, told really? me there is a cassette available. So, um. um, so on April 4th, 5th, and 6th, 1986, the comedians like Lenny Henry, Rowan Atkinson, and Billy Connolly, and musicians like Cliff Richard, Howard Jones, and Kate Bush came together to perform live on stage in order to raise money for comic relief. The three nights were recorded to form this LP. Kate Bush performed Breathing. So back in the Breathing oh. episode, I mentioned that she did a live. This was for this show. And that's um, a very interesting pick for comic relief. Seriously, like, oh, an apocalyptic that's... song. Like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> Although she performed it beautifully. And it, it's it's one of it's... those performances that really, I'm like, God damn it, woman. I wish you would fucking tour. There's yeah. so much room in her discography for taking songs like Breathing that were so produced and just stripping well, it to like how she probably played it for the session musicians. Like, Yeah, it sounds, it reminded, that performance reminds me a lot of Prince's piano and a microphone recordings. Mm-hmm. I've heard about those. Those are really beautiful, and we'll eventually talk more about Prince on this podcast. Oh, yeah, because um, he's going to come up for yeah, yeah. Um, the Red Shoe season. Yeah, she performed Breathing Solo at the Piano and the Comedy Duet, and the Comedy Duet Do Bears with Rowan. Yeah, so let's get into the, Yeah, and so I've, I've, I found the list of people who were on it, and there's also, in addition to who you mentioned, uh, Ben Elton, who used to be one of the funniest people in the world. Now he's one of the biggest hacks on the planet. And he wrote that horrible Queen musical, We Will Rock You. But he used to be part of the Young Ones, and so the Young Ones were there as well. French and Saunders were there. Who else do I see out here? You mentioned Billy Connolly. And it's worth and then, mentioning that uh, Don French is in the video for Experiment 4. As is... Oh, actually, there's more. There's another connection. Yeah, so... And Hugh Laurie's in that, too, who um, clearly a British... Clearly British comedy is on her mind at the time. And maybe they all just knew each other, but... It's clear that she's got an appreciation for for la for having a laugh, as extras put it. Um, but I see here. Oh, and, oh God! I see the last track on here is something called "Feed the World" by Bidger and Bob mm-hmm. Geldof. That sounds terrible. So let's talk about this actual song. I'm gonna be real honest. I don't <laughs> have a lot of personal connection to this song, other than, oh, this is something she did for a charity show. It's mildly amusing. There seem to be like two central jokes to the piece. One is that Rowan Atkinson is doing like a um, like a pseudo Cliff Richard, Tom Jones mm-hmm. performer, and which is very weird considering Cliff Richard is also in this. So maybe he's riffing on that. Oh, Stephen Fry's on this on this show too. So he's doing that, and he's trying to be like, oh, this like the British lover man, but Kate keeps coming in and. In, in like making him sound more mm-hmm. down to earth, but it's not. And then the other joke, the really lame one, is that they almost say swear words. But yes, no. <laughs> that's that's you the know, passing fortune for a flying oh for crying out loud. That part. Yeah, it's 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 not. It's it's like it's the kind of jokes that like Cub Scout troops make during their talent shows. If that means anything, it's like it's like it's like something twelve year olds would laugh at. It's not very funny. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. 
I watched the video performance of this multiple times. Mm-hmm, and me too. It frustrated me because it's very clearly lip synced. So Kate, Kate does this beautiful rendition of breathing on this special, but for this, they're lip syncing to a pre-recorded track, and it just comes across as fake and. It's tacky in a way that I don't associate with her. What, what, what are your thoughts on the performance itself? Well, as is usually... You can be honest. You, you can be honest. Oh, no. I mean, no, I'm being honest when I'm like, I really don't have much of a personal connection to this song. The only thing that kind of really sticks out to me, especially about this song, is that, oh, she's doing something live. That she actually performed something live. And at this point, she really had... That she hadn't even done a, a full concert since 1979 yeah it's the i think it's the one there's the charity aspect to it um because so let's let's talk about the context of that there were a lot of charity musical events in the 80s and oh um, my goodness yes <laughs> and in the uk especially there were two people like in the uk especially either bob geldof or bono or both would always be involved mm-hmm. and bob geldof is involved in this one and, uh, okay, so he's, oh, God, how am I going to say this in the nicest way? Bob Geldof is somebody I have immense respect for as an artist and very little respect for as a human being. Really? How so? Just um, A lot of it is summed up by Do They Know It's Christmas, which I think is one of the most repulsive. The Christmas season just ended, and I think you could, there are two songs that I utterly dread hearing every year. One is the Christmas shoes, and the others do oh, they God, know it's Christmas. Christmas shoes. Do they know it's Christmas? Like you can, people joke about having to get through Wham's Last Christmas. I think that's a lovely song. People joke about the Mariah Carey song, but that's tolerable compared to. Do they know it's Christmas? Is it sums up Bob Geldof's uh, incredibly patronizing view of Africans as these essentially children who have to be helped out by um, by the white man. It's just like, when's the last time you listened to this song? Which one? The Do They Know It's Christmas? Do They Christmas? Know It's Do They Know It's Yeah. The last time I listened to it actually was on Christmas morning and oh, somebody had, <laughs> no, actually, I mean, it was okay. They had on a Spotify playlist and it came up. So this was specifically an event for Ethiopian famine. And I think Bob Geldof thinks Africans are children. I think he doesn't think of them as real people. I think he thinks of them as this abstract uh, suffering populace. And he sees the fact that he is really rich and famous as his way to to he he makes him feel better about his conscience by raising money to help them. But I don't think he has interest in them as people or in their culture. And do they know it's Christmas? Is the uh, yeah they know it's Christianity is incredibly popular in Ethiopia. You tacky idiot. Um, but man, I I I love the Boomtown Rats dearly, but I don't like Bob Geldof as a person. I I can respect the amount of money he raised um, without, while still thinking it's a sort of white man's burden charity event. Um, I think comic relief in general is better than that. I mm-hmm. think I think Richard Curtis is a good person. I did see that movie. Uh, I thought uh, it would be better than it would. I thought it would be better than it actually was. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Because um, and... I loved the concept. The concept actually of that movie reminded me a lot of a French movie I watched in late 2006 it was called jean philippe and it was about i've seen this and it's about um an alternate uh, this guy who's a super fan of johnny Day, and he wakes up mm-hmm. one day 
and he's in a world where Johnny Hallyday did not become Johnny Hallyday, so he has to go and encourage him to become Johnny Hallyday. And like this whole it, that that concept, I would always thought after, after I saw that movie, it'd be really cool to have an English equivalent. And like, who would we? Who would you pick? And so when I saw the trailer for yesterday, I thought, oh, maybe it's going to be kind of like Jean Philippe, and ended up not being quite what I thought it would be. No, I think it's a lazy movie that doesn't do anything with its concept and perversely makes Richard Curtis and Danny, Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle both sort of defined different like parts of British cinema in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And to have them together with this sort of edgeless, porous version of each other really, really made me sad. But I do think, I think Richard Curtis, I've never heard a bad story about him. Um, and you, this is a day when you hear a lot of depressing stories about your heroes. Mm-hmm. And the general impression I get is that Richard Curtis is a decent, caring human being. Um, and I think, re- regardless of your opinion about his work, I don't think, I, I think you thought, I think comic relief really did mean, and still does mean a lot to him. He still is very involved Mm-hmm. With red with red nose day events, which has now um, come over to the U.S. I noticed a yeah. couple of years ago that they started doing um, the the different red noses. It's and it's here in the U.S. It's I, through I uh, think, Walgreens. Yeah, I think that started when One Direction started being involved, and their fans you, you can you can roll your eyes at One Direction, but the fact that they brought it over here is not a bad thing. Um, I first heard about it on the UK version of The Office, actually. Oh, that makes sense. Um, where Ricky Gervais, who also used to be funny, think funny, think about that, is wearing a red nose and laughing hysterically and no one else is. And he demands to know why they're laughing. It's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so, yeah, yeah there's, there's, a, there's a noble and an ignoble tradition. In the U.S., we had Cans Across America, and we had We Are the World. Um, and some people will say, like, Artists United Against Apartheid was the only good song to come out of that. It's still a bad song. Um, ain't gonna play Sun City. It was, it was sort of, a, Charity Chic was a thing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Live Aid. That, I mean, yeah, Live Aid. Yeah, that was gelled off, yeah. And um, I think it kind of died down as certain artists started to make uh, their pol- their politics more aligned with their actual music and what they did. U2, who was a part of a lot of these early things, became much better known for it being in their actual music. And I think it, it largely died in um, a sad death with the really hilariously bad Gulf War charity song, Voices That Care, which I recommend looking up. It's like the tackiest um, piece of early 90s trash where you have people like Michael Bolton and Kenny G. Are you aware of this one? I think I have heard it. I might have heard, I might have heard it sounds like something I would have heard when I was really little. Yeah, so fortunately Kate Bush wasn't involved yeah, in any God. of these. She didn't she didn't do any of these songs where a whole lot of celebrities sing together. I'm really I'm so glad she's not on Do They Know It's Christmas. Like there's oh, I guarantee she was asked. I guarantee Bob Geldof asked her to do that. Well, she was asked um, to do Live Aid, but she mm-hmm. said no. I'm sure if she had said yes to that, he would have roped her into uh Do They Know It's Christmas as well, cuz there's a lot of 
artists I adore who are on that. Um, Simon LeBon is on there. Ugh. Boy George is in there. George Michael's George on Michael there. George Michael is in there. Ute Bono's in there. Uh, it's really Sting, really I think, is somewhere Sting. in there, too. Oh, oh Sting, Sting, no, no. Sting sings the line, the only uh, rain they'll get is the bitter sting of tears. They gave him the line oh. with his own name in it. <laughs> I bet that was intentional. I'm sure it was. <laughs> it's, But you know what? That's funnier than Do Bears. Yeah, it's kind of back to the song. Yeah, yeah, we don't like. There's not a lot to talk about here. There really I, isn't. The reason, Honestly, I kind of felt like this would be like more of a more of a shorter episode because she. I mean, she didn't write the song. She performed on it, but she didn't write the song. And that's why this is this is the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's sort of a a nice little. It's what with all the other songs, you get to really talk about the artistry behind them. Mm-hmm. The, um, this is 100% an, an example of what Kate's place was in British culture at the time, where she was very popular, but somebody who wasn't performing live. When she shows up on the stage, people in the audience lose it, um, even though she was there earlier, because nobody's expecting her to be there with Rowan Atkinson. And I'm sure for everybody in the audience, it was an absolute treat. But it just it's just so weird that she's part of this charity chic. I wonder who, I do wonder who asked her to do it. It was probably Curtis or Atkinson. It probably one of probably them because I get the impression that like at this time that not only is she topping the charts because she at this point um, she's been through almost all the singles for Hounds of Love, and Hounds of Love has been out for well this was done in April Hounds of Love was released in September. Oh, so, so it's it's like really big at the time. It's yeah, this is like the height of it. <laughs> So she was probably the impression I get is that that Kate was seen as something like, whoa, hey, she's topping the charts and we really respect her. She's doing really well. Hey, let's ask her to be a part of this. I mean, why not? I'm not saying I have anything against him. Just this is somebody who's really popular now. Hey, let's get her yeah, involved. Yeah. Why not? And, and it seems like because obviously she said no to Live Aid. I'm guessing she said yes because she enjoys the comedians who are involved. Yeah, it was probably the and comedians, and also it's for a good cause. I mean, also mm-hmm. she was a part of the uh, Secret Policeman's Ball. Yeah, um, yeah, because the Secret Policeman's Ball is. Uh, I thought. Until and then I there was the princess, up, and then there was uh, the Princess Trust where she did the wedding mm-hmm. list, and her top nearly fell off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that many times, uh, but um, <laughs> there's there's something about. Yeah, so I think the Secret Policeman's Ball might have been another part. It's that the 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 comedy charity thing had been around for a while, and I think she enjoyed the opportunity to be able to be funny or try to be funny. I'm not saying she succeeded here. This is I think of this as an example of two great tastes that don't taste well together. It's as I'm a massive fan of Kate Bush. I'm a massive fan of Rowan Atkinson, and this is just a weird little footnote in both of their careers. Mm-hmm. It's not like when David Bowie and Bing Crosby recorded together and did a beautiful, beautiful song that I do love hearing every Christmas. This is just like, okay, this is a thing that happens. I haven't really watched much of what else is on here. I've seen the Young Ones thing. I've seen the Young Ones clip, which they did with Cliff Richard, mm-hmm. which is and kind of went funny. To number one. Yeah, that's a funny one. There's not much to the song. I think Mm-mm. we know that. But I like being able to talk about Kate Bush existing in the vortex of what was or 
what else was in British pop mm-hmm. culture at the time. Because most of her music just feels so otherworldly. It feels like it came from a different time and a different place. And in the, in the last several years, there's been such an influx of bands inspired by her that it sounds even more contemporary at times, even if the, the Fairlight CMI sounds dated. Um, and it's important to remember that like she was... She for the music buying public, she existed in the same space as Falco, and yeah. as and as Doctor and the Medics, and Shaken Stevens. <laughs> oh, <good laughs> We're gonna have a party tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, and, and that is a really what I find interesting. Like looking at the the charts at the time that. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, then as now, there's you got your good stuff if that's popular, you get your like, eh, why do people like this kind of stuff that's popular? But it is interesting that it just I can't imagine like being able to turn on the radio and you hear Kate Bush next to somebody who's not her, you know? Well, here's the this is what's I I think the '90s might have been the last time like that in America where you had like really interesting like post nirvana stuff making it to the charts at the same time as like bottom of the barrel crap like um like i'm trying to think of an like what's 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 something you hate from the 90s um oh let's see i don't know the mocker okay the macarena oh that okay okay what i'm saying you could you could be hearing um macarena right next to something from jagged little pill now I think, even though there's a lot more interesting music that can be more easily accessible, the pop charts are a lot blander. They're a lot yeah, hollower mm-hmm. than they were in the eight. And then like, oh, so let's like, and I'm sure you've talked about Peter Gabriel a lot on here, obviously, mm-hmm. but he was, I think he became really big in the U.S. just because he was he was making interesting videos and they had the fill something in those slots on MTV. And for all the people talk about MTV ruining music, I think it did a lot more to expose people to interesting stuff. Because really, if it weren't, if you didn't have like a friend who maybe happened to be in the UK who could send you stuff, <laughs> you probably didn't hear about it if it wasn't on the radio. So like, and that's the other thing is that Kate, and similarly, the Smiths were phenomenally popular. They didn't mm-hmm. have they didn't have many number one hits, but they were phenomenally popular around this time. And in and Depeche Mode as well. And in the U.S., they were Depeche both. Mode. Depeche yeah, yeah, Depeche. Um, and the Cure took the Cure eventually had hits in America, but so there's like what's funny to me is that there's a great a great box set from Rhino called Left of the Dial, like hits from the eighties alternative mm-hmm. rock underground. Do you have that one? I don't have it, but I know of it. And yeah, I Yeah, it's almost really it great. Was. Every single song on it is great. And one of them running up that hill is on there. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because if you told somebody in the UK at the time like that she was college rock, they'd probably find that ridiculous. Well that's what some of it's like when when they tried to bring Kate Bush over to America, they didn't know where to place her. They're like, yeah. is she pop? Is she rock? Is she what? We, 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 huh? Because we're, because in our, we like have to make sure that like somebody is only this or that. Do Bears is really just, ugh. there's I, really the not more... much to it. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. It's <laughs> like I said, it's, there's inter- it, it's interesting the way that it, it gives us a glimpse of Kate as 
a larger piece of culture as a almost as I don't want to say it sounds too cynical to say it's about her as a product or her and the way everybody uses the word brand nowadays. But at the end of the day, she was selling music. She was selling an image. And this was something where she felt she could raise money for a good cause and collaborate with people she clearly respected. And I can't fault her for it. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I enjoyed that aspect of this part, this song. This song wasn't meant to last. It was ephemeral mm-hmm. and cute. And if she were somebody who had, like, if she toured a lot, if she had an enormous number of songs, like, there's, there's Beatles songs that are just as much toss-off. So because we have so much of a recorded legacy with them, like, if there's a podcast about if you're going to do a complete run through of every single song recorded by the Beatles, you'll like, you'll get around to Christmas time is here again and you'll just run through it, but you won't, there's not a lot to talk about with that. There's not much to talk about with do bears either, but it's one of the few glimpses we have of Kate as not being, or is it one of the few glimpses we have of a Kate Bush song that isn't 100% her vision or her and her, or her and collaborators. She chooses clearly carefully. I imagine if she hadn't been semi-reclusive, and I know she doesn't like that word. I don't think it's a fair way to describe her either. She's just I agree. has a she has a private she she lets herself have a private life, which is not something most pop stars do. If she hadn't, but if she hadn't like been very strongly in control of how she, of her image, I think you would have seen a lot more stuff like this. She would have wound up on SNL a lot more than when she did. Like, I'm trying to think what it would in the equivalent in the late 80s. You would have seen her do a lot more schlocky things. Yeah, Ken, Ken is the other one that's sort of... Oh, God. Uh, did she actually write that one, though? Yeah, she did. Yeah, that's that's her That's her cross the bear. That's, that's worse. That's actually worse than this. Do Bears is harmless. Yeah, Do Bears isn't much. If, if anybody out there who's listening, if this is your favorite Kate Bush song, uh, please let us know. Not even like high quality. It's, I'm going to say this is not very typical of his work either. It's clearly his work. But this is, I think this feels like something he wrote in five minutes. I can't imagine most people found it particularly funny then either. I couldn't find any critical reviews of this. That, or I where, didn't either. Like pretty much all the attention was on the Cliff Richard and Young ones. But and Kate's solo piano. I do, I almost want to hear this, this mid, the Midge, because Midge Ur and Bob Eldoff, Bob Geldof, and Kate collaborated with Midge Ur as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did Sister and Brother, which, uh, oh my gosh, I would absolutely love. I am going to try and see if I can, like, somehow get a hold of Midge Ur, and mm. I'll probably would fangirl a little bit because I love Ultravox. <laughs> I really love Ultravox. Oh I my god, huge, like, I do yeah, a girl I, in piano version of Vienna. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the best song called Vienna. Sorry, oh Billy God. Joel. Um, um, but, yeah, um, I know. Like, but there's, and I, I actually don't hate Billy Joel. I just like making fun of him. But um, <laughs> he's got he's got some good songs. But there's more than any other thing Kate Bush has done, Do Bears makes me feel, makes me see how human Kate Bush is. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. I, I just got to my thesis, finally. I like that there's a silly, goofy thing, and it's not particularly amusing, but I love that Kate Bush and that Rowan Atkinson, and because here's the thing about Rowan, the thing that's interesting about Rowan Atkinson, um, if you read interviews with him, he's very dry. Mm-hmm. 
he doesn't he doesn't really he's not he's 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 said many times that he's not good at being spontaneously witty as a writer he is incredibly funny Mm -hmm. but he's in his normal life he's very serious he's very droll i'm i i imagine if you saw him and kate talking together kate would be funnier than him while in her work she's a lot more serious than he is but again he is he has elements of seriousness that are in his work but he is overall one of the funniest human beings on the planet and, oh i can't i can't end this without talking about rowan atkinson's performance in rat race oh that was one of my date movies. I remember going to go with a boyfriend to see that movie. Actually, <laughs> I love eighty percent of Rat Race, and he he's he plays the Italian character um, who he's a narcoleptic, and there is an incredibly funny bad taste scene in that movie where he's um, trying to where he where he's trying to get a key to open a locker. And then he accidentally drops it in a baby's lap. And you can imagine what the parents think he's doing, trying to get a key out of a baby's lap. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah it's very... It's, <laughs> and he has, a, he has a really, really funny scene with Wayne Knight where, um, where, where they have to transport a, um, a heart uh, to an organ transplant. And they get stuck in the desert, and the heart starts flapping around. I think Rat Race is a funny movie. This has one of the worst <laughs> endings of any, like, the most studio. You remember how this movie ends? I do not, because I haven't seen it since 2001-ish when it came out. Oh, my God, it's been well, almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it was summer. I saw it because Shrek was sold out. Connect this movie to what we're talking about, a charity event. The movie... The movie ends with um, all of... It's like it's basically and it's a mad, 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 mad world knockoff. Mm-hmm. The movie ends with all of the characters um, basically crashing into a stage. And it turns out to be a charity event for, like, African children. And they decide to donate all the money, which makes John Cleese, who's also... Oh, there we go, back to Monty Python. Very sad, and he starts crying because he's the eccentric rich man who has to get rid of his money, blah, 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 blah. But to cap it all off, charity event, like it ends with a giant musical number. And that's right, it's Smash Mouth <laughs> performing All-Star. All oh, yeah, I do remember that now. So Rowan Atkinson got to jump around with Smash Mouth in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and oh I wonder if when he was on stage at this fake charity event, his mind flashed back to him singing with Kate Bush. <laughs> and I wonder which version, which he enjoyed more. <laughs> the movie the movie begins with the Baja Men song, by the way, so it's very much like a like that particular cultural moment pre nine eleven and the crappiest music. Like but but besides the Baja Men and Smash Mouth bookends, it's it's an eighty percent of a very funny movie. There's some there's some uncomfortable trans humor that has not aged well, but otherwise mm. it's good. Oh, um, let's see. I think we've pretty so there, much honestly we've exhausted We've, We've exhausted, exhausted this song. and then. <laughs> there's, there's less to talk about. There's, there's less to talk about in this song than the actual length of the song. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> also, I have taken my medicine and I am about to fall asleep. It is yeah, nice yeah. and warm up here. <laughs> yeah, so by the way, do, do, so, bears troll, do bears troll LLLL in the woods? I don't know. How else do they make more bears? It, it's, it's supposed to be shit, isn't it? Or is it like... 
See, I thought, it was I thought it was sex. Do and do bears like? Well, because do bears shag in the woods, in the woods is, or is something? The expression. That's the expression. Like, I thought that like, it's a little of both because they. Cause I thought they were saying troll a lot of mean shit because they do the the fake fuck later. It's not interesting. It's not. But as you were saying, and I agree with this, that it's an interesting glimpse into like Kate Bush doing something, doing something for charity, and it's it's lighthearted. It's it's a neat little it's a neat footnote in her discography. Yeah, so I'm gonna guess this was not on her short list of songs to redo for director's cut. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe it was, but Rowan couldn't make it. Maybe. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show to talk Thanks about for the song today. Me. Of course, anytime. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Oh my goodness. So we are now two episodes. I have to say we're two episodes away from the end of Hounds of Loves, at least the season, because next week you're going to get to hear me talk about The Seer, which was the song that she did with Big Country. And then to wrap up the Hounds of Love season, we're going to have a discussion of Don't Give Up. Although, please don't give up on the show because there will be more to come. Because we've got the central world and the red shoes and everything else to come. But first things first, if you enjoy what I'm doing and you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast and chip in a little bit and get some extra things. Everybody likes extra things. You can email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. On the web, kbcast.linkmedia.com. You can also find me on Twitter at strangekatecast on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. So lots of different ways to find me. And since we're coming down to the end of another season, I'm going to be putting out a Let the Weirdness End episode very soon. So if there are like any fan mails and corrections and things like that, make sure you get them in and they could be on a future episode. Also, we have a hotline, 757-349-6886. That's 757-349-6886. And your message might be played on a future episode. So all that aside, join me next week for the second to last episode for the Hounds of Love season talking about the seer. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.